0: Welcome to Happy Dance, the podcast for dance teachers by dance teachers. I have the wonderful Hannah with me today, who not only is a dance teacher, but has her own podcast called Hustle with Hannah, where she talks to different business owners um, from real estate to marketing, all sorts. So check it out if you want to learn more. Without further ado, Hannah, introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your dance journey.
1: Hi, well, thanks for having me today, Lauren. So yeah, it starts off quite a typical story. You know, I joined a dance school when I was about four or five years old. We did the typical dance styles, you know, ballet, tap, modern, all that kind of stuff, did exams, did shows, never really did competitions. So that was never something that we really kind of got involved in I was there till I was about 18 went through all the different grades got my associate diploma in ballet so obviously that allowed me to be able to teach ballet and then when I was 18 I went off to university I went to the University of Huddersfield but I didn't actually go to study dance like a lot of dance teachers do Because I thought, well, you know, I've been dancing for near enough my whole life. I know how to dance. I, you know, I kind of know the basics about teaching people to dance, but I have absolutely no idea how to run a business. And I knew from quite a young age that I wanted to have my own dance business and in time, hopefully have an actual dance school. And so I just thought, well, I might as well go and learn about the basics of business because, you know, I also sustained an injury when I was 15 to my hip. So I know that sort of the intensive training hours that you have to put in with a dance degree. I was like, I'm going to end up crippling myself instead of achieving my goals. So I thought, no, let's go and let's learn about business. So I did an enterprise development degree that was three years long. And whilst I was at uni, I actually joined the Dance Society, which was just in its first year when I was in my first year. So I was like, oh, it's meant to be. It started just when I was starting. So I joined them. I was actually the president in my second year and I was the contemporary dance teacher for my second year and my third year. So that was great. And then on approaching graduation, I set up as a soul trader under the name Hannah Danielle Dance. And yeah, for the past almost three years now, I've been teaching people how to dance. So I've gone from the actual sort of performing side of things to behind the scenes, and I guess nurturing the dancers of the future, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> I love
0: that. That's really interesting because I did a very similar thing. I did my teach training all privately, and then I went to uni. And originally, I was doing a joint, so I did business and event management with dance. But if I'm perfectly honest, it could have been just for me because I'd already done the teacher training for dance. Doing dance at uni. To me, obviously everyone has different points, but I felt personally it was a waste of time and it didn't mm. really teach me much. Like it was very much, let's make a dance about a cloud. And I was like, eh. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like this this is what I've done at GCSE. This has nothing to do with actually how to teach different age groups, yeah. what you need to think about when you're creating the routines for a two-year-old compared to a 13-year-old or anything like that. There was no real how to teach with the degree mm. or for the year I stayed at that part and then I did event and business management full time from my second year onwards so it's really interesting that you did a similar thing yeah um, did you train under an association like are you part of a with your yes. ballet
1: that is? yeah so for all three styles uh my dance school followed the British Association of Teachers of Dancing so BATD and I still pay every year to be a member of that board so that's who I don't actually teach any of their syllabuses at the moment but If ever I need to, I am able to. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's interesting. I'm I'm with the IDTA. Did you have to pay this year, even though, like, last year was practically a write-off?
1: No, thankfully, we received an email towards the end of 2020, basically saying, you know, because none of you were able to really get much out of your membership, you know, all the seminars were cancelled and things like that, they uh, honoured it and gave us all a free one for for 2021, which was very nice of them. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think most have, apart from the IDTA, annoyingly. <laughs> which is kind of really, what's the word? Pull the bear under me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so frustrating. Especially when you see their um, finance reports and you're like, you're making millions. You could easily afford to go, look, guys, I understand it's been a rough year for everyone. Have it half price or have it free. Like. Yeah, but
1: even just discounted, even if it wasn't yeah. the full thing. Yeah.
0: Just to understand. But that's a whole different podcast. I could talk yeah. about, about what I think associations <laughs> should be. Like, uh, like with the whole, I, like you said, I went to uni for a very similar thing because I didn't know about how to run a business. And I think that's something that's really missing from associations. Like I mm. think I'd get a lot more value out of it if they had, this is for dance. this is how you set up your business, this is how you even get work at other people's business. It's a lot more of like a networking yeah. association kind of feel. What do you think made you want to start your own business? Did you help at your teachers' classes? Did you do a project at school? What, what do you think was the little spark moment that made you want to start your own dance school?
1: To be honest, the owning your own business side of things actually stems from quite a young age. So I, I don't really have much of a memory of this. Um, but my grandma, she used to look after me quite a lot because my mum and dad split up when I was quite young so obviously when my mum was at work my grandma looked after me like after school and stuff and we used to always you know because this was before the days of having ipads and stuff to play on we used to play like almost like role-playing games i guess and we'd play things like shopkeeper and things like that and my grandma says that categorically i'd never let her be the one that was in charge i was always the one that was like i'm the boss This is my business and I'm running it like this. So I guess from being sort of five, six years old, you could say I was destined to to work for myself. But in terms of the dance element, I actually quite liked the idea of being an author because I always really enjoyed English at school. But obviously I knew that I wanted dance to stay in my life one way or the other, whether it was working or just attending dance classes. I wasn't quite sure, but I knew it needed to stay in my life. And then as I got older and I helped out with some of the younger classes as I got up to the senior levels. And then obviously when I was doing my teacher's exam and I just thought, oh, I could see myself doing this, to be honest. You know, I I don't know what else I can see myself really doing anymore. And then obviously as I progressed through uni and I went to do my enterprise development degree when I was in the dance society, And I was teaching and especially when I was president in the second year, I just thought this is like this is exactly where I need to be and what I need to be doing. You know, I love the fact that not that I was the one calling the shots because I don't see myself as being that kind of boss, but. Just the fact that it was like, oh, I've actually got some control here and I haven't got someone chirping in my ear being like, you need to do this. You need to do that. It was just nice to almost kind of have that freedom and that control. So, I guess it kind of just it naturally followed a path, I guess. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I love the creative freedom that comes with owning your own thing and running your own company. I think that's what I found when I worked for other people was I always had so many ideas of things that if I was running it, what I'd do. So I think as an employee, I was probably really rubbish because I was like, oh, have you thought about this? LinkedIn's really good for organic content at the moment. Like, oh. <laughs> and they'd be like, that's okay, Lauren, like, table five needs serving. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Did you have many part-time jobs like through uni and things that made you realise yeah i need to, i need to be in
1: charge of my own thing i can't i can't work for anyone else so i i started working when i was 16 it was literally so my birthday's in september so i was i was always one of the older ones in school and somebody who funnily enough was in my dance school but a couple of classes above me she was a little bit older than me she worked at the pub which is literally just down the street from where i live and obviously a lot of people that worked at that pub then went off to university or whatever because it's like a it's a real sort of family pub so she messaged me literally like the day after my 16th birthday and was like my boss needs staff do you want a job (laughs) and I was like well yeah because I was gonna consider applying anyway but I was having that sort of inner battle of you know do I wait till my GCSEs are out the way because obviously when you're 16 your GCSEs are like the most important thing ever so I was like do I wait do I not and I thought no I want to start making my own money and I knew that as soon as I turned 17 I wanted to learn to drive so I was kind of thinking ahead so I just was like yeah cool I'll I'll come and have a job there so I worked there from being 16 obviously I just did weekends and the odd evenings I was still at school full time worked there whilst I was in sick form doing my A-levels and then because I moved away to go to uni obviously I had to leave there but I did come back for seasonal work so like at Christmas and in the summer. But whilst I was at uni, I also became a student ambassador in my second year. So that was sort of just helping out with open day events. And when I got promoted to a senior student ambassador, we did like mock interviews. Like we went into colleges and did mock interviews for sixth formers and things like that. And I did enjoy that, to be fair, even though I was employed. Again, you weren't really in a role where they were like, do this, do that. It was basically like, okay, this is your position today go do with it what you will sort of thing. So yeah. there was there was a bit of a bit more of a freedom element there and, and yeah, the job kind of itself stuff. was yeah the job itself was quite fun like it wasn't too taxing. The only taxing thing for me was that you usually had to be there for half past 8 for a briefing and I'm not a morning person. So <laughs> that was the only battle I really felt with it. But you know the pay was good. You got to pick the shifts you wanted and you were you were capped at 15 hours a week anyway, so you knew that it wasn't going to be taken Time away from your studies and things like that, and then when I graduated, because obviously I was setting up and starting from scratch, and you know I I don't come from wealth or anything, so I didn't have a big nest egg to be starting off with or anything. So I actually went back to the pub. They took me back on, and I worked there on the weekends and focused on my dance stuff like during the weekdays. So I ran those sort of simultaneously and then in March 2019 I actually also picked up an online contracted job so I was working three jobs at once and that's basically it's for an Australian company and they just help students by sort of checking their spelling and grammar and you know checking structure of essays so you're not actually telling them if they've done it right or not and you're not proofreading or anything like that but it's just giving them that extra sort of academic support on top of what they might be able to access at university so yeah I've done quite a few different things and then I decided to leave the pub for a number of reasons in January 2020 and then six weeks later the pandemic hit and I was like "Hmm, well this is not ideal (laughs) so yeah (laughs) so I have had a few part-time jobs but for the most part I've been sort of self-employed for well, just over the past year now, full time.
0: Yeah, I think that's quite common. Like I did the same. I had multiple strengths to my vo to start with. And then as you grow your business, you kind of drop off and drop off yeah. until you can finally be free of everyone else and focus solely on you. Um, do you think going to uni helped when you start your business? Like, What did you learn from your enterprise development degree that you thought, yes, this is gold, this is what I'm going to take away and put, put into my business plan put into my startup
1: yeah so I think the degree itself like from a content point of view I have obviously learned about the importance of like the legalities behind it and you know how important it is from like a scalability point of view which I think like you say if you don't have that kind of prior business knowledge you go into this thinking I'm just going to teach everyone to dance and you, you don't necessarily have those other formalities in place or you have to kind of learn as you go along so I was very much prepared and I was like right I'm gonna get all of these things in line before I even teach my first lesson but from a personal point of view I was a very very timid child and teenager like I was very introvert I still class myself as an introvert now I just have a lot more extrovert tendencies I guess you could say so going to university it just really just helped me from like a confidence point of view so I didn't know a single person who went when I went to university because I purposely applied for universities where I knew I would have to sort of branch out like a lot of my year group at my school applied for you know the likes of University of Lincoln and Sheffield and Leeds and I was like okay all these people are applying there so I'm just not going to go there I'm going to go over here because I want to go somewhere different and I think that really helped because obviously I had that moment of I either need to start socializing with people and stepping out my comfort zone or this is going to be a very lonely three years in Huddersfield so I think that's helped because obviously it gave me that confidence to be able to sort of take risks which obviously you have to do when you're in business for yourself so yeah I think from a personal point of view and from a running the business point of view going to uni definitely had its benefits.
0: Yeah definitely and did the course itself was there like a module that you were like this is gold this is worth all the money I'm paying to come here or do you think it was more the like personal development side of uni?
1: I think so throughout the three years, we had this module that was called Enterprise Development Module. And in the first year, it was focusing on developing your idea. So it was talking about, you know, how feasible is this idea? How can you make it more unique so that you're not just copying everybody else out there and things like that. Then in the second year, it was all about developing the business plan. So you had to obviously do research into your industry and you had to look at you know, suitable locations and things like that. And then as part of our final assessment for that, we had to do, so like if you've ever watched The Apprentice, as they get towards the final, they have that part where they have to sit down with the experts and the experts basically just rip them to shreds. We had to do that as one of our assignments. We had to defend our business plan. Oh, God, that felt yeah. scary. It was scary, but I always remember my tutor telling me that if I can get, the examiner talking about anything except my business plan then I will do well because the less they ask me the less things there are to pick fault with and it worked because it turned out that my examiner I think it was his son or daughter actually went to the same secondary school as me so for about 10 minutes of this half an hour slot, we talked about my secondary school and he didn't even get to the finance section to ask me any questions about that. And I ended up getting 90% oh, for that, for that uh, assignment. So I was like, yes. <laughs> and then in the final year, aside from like your dissertation and everything, it was basically, I can't remember the exact title of this one, but it was basically like making your business happen, basically. So you had to put a presentation together and basically be like this is why my business is feasible sort of thing and I think that helped because it helped to just sort of break different elements down so rather than just throwing us in at the deep end and being like okay you want to set your own business up go it was like okay you want to set your own business up let's get the theory in place then let's get sort of the bridge between theory and practical going in terms of the business plan And then it was like, okay, you've got all of this together now. How are you going to make that happen? So I think that that mod, well, those three modules in particular helped because it just kind of gave you that sort of gave you the stepping stones to get from A to B, basically. Yeah, the journey. Did you use
0: your dance company as your business for the business plan for?
1: Yeah. So as part of our degree, when we first joined, they basically said, like, you know, in order to past this degree you have to use like your own business idea you can't just use like a pretend like a makeup one you've got to kind of at least stick with what you think you might implement so yeah so the name was a little different and some elements have obviously changed from the the original business plan but yeah Yeah, for the most part yeah it it all 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 it was all based around my uh my dance business yeah
0: Did you thought, this might be a bit personal, but did you find there was a bit of stigma amongst your class? Like when you said, I'm going to start my own dance school, were they all like, I'm a tech company and I'm going to be a a real estate person and try to think of other, like, big, big consulting consultant. Do
1: you know what I Um, mean? To be honest, it's hard to say because we were such a small cohort. So on my actual course itself... I think when I started in first year there were seven of us in total and by final year there was just three of us on my course. So obviously we mixed with a lot of other business students like in lectures and stuff but there wasn't very many of us so we all bonded quite quickly and became quite supportive of each other and off the top of my head I remember there was somebody who wanted to become like a property developer, there was somebody who wanted to create like a software or an app to do with it was something to do with like an online oh that was it they wanted to take artists work and print them onto t-shirts and then sell them on so there was a lot of like creative ideas so I think at first they were a bit like what just a dance school but as I kind of explained more about how I wanted to focus on Supporting mental health as well as physical health through the dance. They were a bit more like, oh, okay, like I see your angle on this now. Like, that's actually really, that's like actually a really good idea. So, if there was a bit of sort of stigma or a bit of like doubts, I, either it wasn't very noticeable to me, I was oblivious to it, or it didn't last for very long. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers as dance teachers that we face for the like opinions in the outside world. Is that people don't view dance classes as a business it's mm. like oh it's a, like a hobby job and it's like no it's our income it's our passion because we love it doesn't mean we shouldn't get paid for it and I think that's the challenge that comes with starting a dance yeah. class like you said if you have no business knowledge at all actually running it as a business and making it profitable and like you said having that plan having that goal doing things with intention yeah I, I agree and I am happy that you didn't get <laughs> lots of clear pressure from everyone like oh <laughs> do you know if any of them actually went on to start their business like how they're
1: doing um I think I know one of them in particular he did because he was an international student so I think he was from like the Czech Republic or something and I remember at the end of first year like his idea was so viable and he actually managed to get it off the ground at the end of his first year that our tutor actually turned around to him and was like you know unless you really really want this degree like for status or whatever she was like I wouldn't waste the time over the next two years she was like you've got this solid foundation because I think he wanted it to be available in his home country before expanding to like the UK or elsewhere so she was like just go and keep working on it like you you've clearly got it set in stone so I know he got his up and off the ground I I presume it's still running but I'm not 100% sure and in terms of the others to be honest I haven't got much of an idea (laughs) I've seen I'm friends with a couple of them on Facebook and I've never really seen them post anything to do with the business but I know that like me they went into employment so maybe they might be working on things on the side you know keeping it quiet until they've got things to to sort of, wow yeah so I'm, I'm not 100% sure but I'm sure whatever they are doing they're, they're putting their degree to use
0: yeah I suppose the question is if you could like turn back time would you still go to uni
1: oh absolutely you- absolutely yeah it was honestly one of the it was one of the most stressful three years of my life and a lot of stuff went on in my personal life that made things difficult but yeah like I would I would happily go back and do university all over again (laughs) I really enjoyed it yeah
0: yeah I I go back and forth personally I don't think I would Mm. I think the experience of meeting new people and that kind of social aspect is really lovely and all that type of thing but for the money costs I know like the payback scheme is great you might not ever pay the whole thing off but I don't think what I learned was valuable enough to offset the debt. Mm. And it could. I think your course sounds a lot different. It sounds a lot more practical based. But mm. with my events management and business degree, I found that all the textbooks and things where the industry is moving so fast and the internet's just huge and social media and everything like that, the algorithms update pretty much monthly, that all the books and things that we had to cite were out of date yeah by the time they get yeah. published and things like that so i was like the actual knowledge is free online it's mm.
1: not
0: it's not what i'm getting taught in class yeah and i think it's where i'm quite opinionated i used to get into like not battles but discussions heated debates yeah about <laughs> things like they would be talking about the facebook algorithm i'm like well that that's from 2018 that's not 2020 which we're in now obviously i went to uni <laughs> ages ago so it was like 2012, <laughs> 2020, but you get the, the premise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I go back and forth. I'm like, I don't know if what I actually learned was worth the money yeah. I paid
1: for it. It's That's interesting you say that, actually, because I have really good friends of mine who I met at uni, and they have completely opposing opinions to me. They didn't do the same course as me. They didn't even do business-related courses. They did completely different things. And they are very much like oh, that was just a waste of three years or that was just a waste of money. Like, I could have done so much more going down more of a vocational route. So, you know, if I'd have just gone and done an apprenticeship or something like that, whereas I'm just there like, no, I got so much out of my experience. Like, I think it's, don't get me wrong, like, it is a ridiculous amount of money that you are in debt by. Like, I'm not disputing that, but I do definitely (laughs) think that I personally feel like I got almost as much as what I could have got out of it. I could have got more, but I think that was myself. Like, there are so many more things where I look back and I think, I wish I'd have just got involved with that. Like, I was on the fence and I thought, no, I won't bother. And now I'm just like, oh, I should have just done it. Like, just do it. But from a, yeah, from a course point of view and a teaching point of view and a facilities point of view, I I, I definitely would say I was lucky enough to have a, a positive experience, yeah.
0: Yeah, like obviously. But, oh, I am slugging off uni a bit, I suppose. <laughs> I think for the core, for the core job, like jobs that you need to go to uni for, like lawyers, doctors, mm. vets, them, I completely understand the point of unis and the amazing resource they provide. But for business, I'm not convinced. Mm. I think they even need to overhaul the system on which the business costs are run by with this whole, they have to be published authors to be able to cite them and mm. you can't use certain things. Like you couldn't reference a YouTube video, even though mm-hmm. that's probably more up to date than all these papers you're having to, to yeah. cite and agree with. And yeah, so I think there is potential in unis, but I'm not sure if I found it as valuable as I wanted to. Yeah. But like I said, everyone's, everyone's experience is different. Do you think that it gave you a different perspective to other teachers that are starting their business, having gone and got the business experience, your enterprise degree.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it links back to what I said earlier about how, you know, like if you've danced your whole life and then you decide to start teaching without going to any form of higher education or you go and do like dance or drama or whatever – it doesn't equip you with that basic business knowledge so it's like do you know how to do basic accounting like do you understand how to read profit and loss accounts like they sound like really simple things and I guess they are to an extent but as you obviously hopefully succeed and you deal with much more money coming in and out suddenly you've got yeah. to understand the com- the complex side of things yeah. and then things yeah, like un- yeah and then something else yeah and then things like the different insurance or learning how to do like your self-assessment tax return and things like that like the jargon they use is not user-friendly at all even to the likes of us that did business like at degree level there are times where I've come across things I'm like I don't even know what they're trying to say there like that's that's not English to me like I don't I don't understand that (laughs) so I think it just kind of it does help to have a bit of basic business knowledge and it's funny actually because I went to a seminar with Ann Walker I don't know if you know who Ann Walker is yet. yeah I went to a seminar of hers in Leeds uh be 2019 now well it wasn't last year so yeah it must be 2019 and that was all about sort of growing your dance business and there wasn't many of us there but I was the only one who'd gone down the route of doing a business related degree they'd all done your traditional dance since being a young age, and then did dance at a conservatoire and then opened up their own dance school. And she actually pointed out that you know, you've got to, you've got to see it as a business if you're going to run it as a business. So for example, when even in the vocabulary, like they were all saying, oh, and then when I go to dance, I do this. Whereas I was saying, and when I go to work, I do this. And she was, she pointed out the fact that, you know, you've got to change your mindset. So she actually almost kind of praised me and was like, so well done you, because you've already got that mindset in place. Like, you know, that it's a business, you know, that as much as you love it, if it isn't making you money and it isn't paying the bills and whatnot, she was like, you need to do something about it. So I think it definitely, doing a business degree, it definitely helps you kind of approach it with a different mindset.
0: Yeah. So for the people that are listening that haven't got business degrees, what would be the three things they need to Google, learn, think about?
1: Hmm. That's a good one. So, I would say, obviously, definitely look into the legal side of things. So, you know, make sure you've got the correct insurance in place. Make sure you read your insurance as well to make sure it actually covers what it's supposed to cover. Like, you don't want to be insured and then find out it doesn't cover you if you twist your ankle or something because then it's like well what's the point (laughs) like that's one of the biggest risks you're gonna have so yeah look at that make sure like you know you are DBS checked and you've got your first aid and or at least if you've got employees or people on your team that someone has got that in place so I would say definitely check all of those things before you even start teaching because say if you haven't like, quite got your insurance yet, or you're waiting for your DBS check to come through, and then somebody gets injured, or there's a safeguarding issue, like, you're already going to put yourself in trouble before you've even got started. So, I definitely say get all the boring stuff out the way first. I would say, kind of, like, familiarize yourself with different elements of marketing. So, a lot of people think that marketing just a fancy word for advertising and obviously advertising is a big part of marketing like it's it's kind of the core of marketing but it's about understanding like your audience understanding like traffic on your socials or on your website so just take a bit of time to kind of look at your insights on like if you've got business pages or whatever you can check that out and things like that and there are plenty of like free webinars and courses and stuff that you can like you don't have to shed out loads of money to go and be told all about these things so I'd say definitely take some time just to kind of learn about that obviously you do have to start putting posts out to be able to do that because you can't see your traffic if you've got no posts but just kind of learn about you know what's the best time of day that people engage with your post, so that most people will see it and different things like that. And I actually saw a post today on Instagram that was quite interesting. And it was talking about the five main social media posts that you like can put posts on. And it was talking about the lifespan of your post. So it was basically saying that if you put something out on Twitter, after about 18 minutes, that's it, it's it's gone. If you put something on Facebook, I think it was like five hours. People, it'll be on people's radars. Instagram, it's 18 hours. LinkedIn, it was 24. But basically it was saying that after 24 hours, the majority of people will see your post and you're not likely to get much engagement after that. So it's just about learning different patterns like that. I've probably rambled on way too much about that. And then oh, it's really interesting. And then the final one, hmm, I would just say knowing your audience, I guess, because I struggled with this in the beginning, because one of the first things they asked us at uni was like, well, who's your target audience? I was like, well, anybody, because anybody can dance. They were like, that's not, that's not the right answer. Like, they were like, if you please everyone, you're not going to please anyone. (laughs) So they're like, you need to think, okay, well, if I want to teach children, is my audience when it comes to marketing children, or is it the parents of these children who are going to be sort of paying for the classes and things like that like you need to understand who who you're actually targeting because you know a 5 year old isn't going to pay attention to something you post on facebook <laughs> but their mom or dad or grandparents or someone that looks after them and pays for their classes they're going to be the one that retain that information so yeah i would say you know get the boring legal stuff out of the way learn about marketing and sort of linked with that is know who your who your audience is
0: yeah that's really helpful um do you have a social media platform that you're like yes this is my one for marketing my business
1: Hmm, I would say for my business personally Facebook is probably the one that gets the most interaction I do use I'm really bad at using Twitter for my business which is ironic because that's probably the social media platform I use most personally but for business I just I don't really use it that much. I do use Instagram but I find that Instagram can get quite flooded with lots of like bot accounts and spam accounts and it's just quite annoying but with Facebook I get a lot of people like coming into classes from Facebook so Personally, I would find, I would say that that one's the best one for me. And like, you can post longer videos and stuff on there. Whereas like on Instagram, I know they've introduced the Instagram TV thing now, which is different, but yeah. But from a podcast point of view, which technically isn't a business, but I would actually find Instagram the most useful. So I think it just, it does depend, but I know for a lot of people, they find Instagram much more beneficial because obviously it's all about the visual, whereas Facebook is... It's, it is about the visual, but it's also text based as well. Yeah, so.
0: Facebook's a bit more all round, isn't it? Yeah. Everything in one. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. And I think different social media platforms link to different audiences. Mm. Like, but like you're saying with Twitter, like, I don't have a business Twitter because my dance mums aren't on Twitter. I think yeah. it's more of a, a kind of dad's and younger person's political playground Twitter than. I think more mums are on Facebook groups and things, chatting yeah. with their kids and posting photos for Nan and things like that. <laughs> yeah. I find that for my younger classes, Facebook is my marketing platform and then for my older ones, Instagram, because they don't have Facebook. Facebook <laughs> <Yeah>. old persons <laughs> in, their, in their mind. And then now TikTok is another one because it's yeah. more for teens and they're the ones that are going to actually see it and go, oh, mum, I want to go there because mm, they've got yeah. more power when they're older to decide what they want to do, whereas when they're little... Their parents decide everything. Obviously, yeah. they share whether they like it or not. But yeah. lining <laughs> them up is the mum rather than the two-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think that links back to what you were saying about knowing your markets, knowing who you're targeting, mm, definitely, and then you're yeah. platforms accordingly. I think, like you were saying, the twenty-four-hour thing marketing is a content game a quality Mm. content and quantity game i should say and because if you're not posting regular no one's going to see it and the algorithm's not going to like it either so you have to be consistent and valuable i think yeah we're like here's an ad here's an ad here's an ad and you're like why would anyone click on that? When was the last time you watched an advert on TV and <laughs> grabbed your phone and started scrolling Instagram or Facebook? Like, when is the last time you got excited about a commercial? Why is someone going to think that about your advertising? Yeah. Like, Want to show the class and show your students and your value without being like, sell, 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 sell.
1: Yeah. Because if
0: you're, if you're good, they'll come to you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They litter in the the sales pitch, the timetables, the don't forget to book your free trial, but actually being like selling with every single post. I think people just see through it. Mm, Definitely. Valuable to, like you said, make that distinction between marketing and advertising, even though they kind of are family members, they're two different people.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So what was the biggest like success moment, hooray, of cracked this when it came to starting your business what was your biggest happy moment
1: um i think for me it was probably at the point when when i decided to leave the pub because albeit there were other reasons it was primarily stemming from a right i can't grow this business anymore now if i keep working here so i left there and then in the february so about a month later was the first time that I actually paid myself a wage from the dance work. So before that, any money that I made, I was just keeping in the business to kind of create a bit of a float, which let me tell you has come in in handy this past year, but also to just kind of keep it there to be able to pay for like marketing and things and like courses and insurance and things like that. So in that first month when I was actually, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a big wage. It wasn't, it was nowhere near like full-time work. It was probably about half of my wage from the pub, but I was like, yay, I've paid myself for doing my own, my own work. Cool. So yeah.
0: It's yeah. Like you've made or something you've created and you've put out there and you've, you've done it's completely down to you
1: yeah and then when I was looking at the next month and like forecasting what I could pay myself I was like oh my god this is great and then coronavirus hit and had (laughs) other ideas so yeah (laughs) I didn't really get to enjoy that for too long but yeah I would say that was probably my biggest success moment because the job itself like I had because I'm freelance so I don't have my own school yet as such I just A lot of the roles were obviously quite similar and I worked with a few different companies and things like that. But I think that actual kind of pride of, you know, I'm doing what I want to do and now I can pay myself for it. That was kind of my sort of pat on the back moment.
0: Yeah, that's such a big step as well. And when you were saying about focusing on like the finance and knowing your predictions and things like that, was that part of your plan that when you wrote your business plan and wrote your goals for the year, you were like, I'm going to say so I had this much for the first two years every month out of my business money to make a float. And then from this date, I'm going to plan to pay myself. Or was it a bit more organic?
1: Um, I think it was a bit more organic. I knew that I wasn't going to pay myself for at least the first year because I just wanted to make sure that I could build up enough money in the business account without draining it straight away. And to obviously pay myself a wage that I could live off I thought well I'm getting that from working at the pub so I don't need this extra I might as well save it so that it can then um, be moved across but obviously I didn't know for sure how long I was going to be working at the pub for and I didn't know how long it would be until I went full-time actually making the decision to go full-time uh, happened really quickly because I was on holiday and I came back at the first week of December And I was umming and ahhing about it then. I was like, oh, maybe, you know, (laughs) 2020, new decade, fresh start. It's going to be a good year, that kind of thing. And then, like, for example, my bosses uh, told us all about a week before Christmas that they were leaving in the new year. And I just thought, well, I'm thinking about leaving anyway. And is there much point me getting used to brand new managers when I've worked for these ones for like seven years to then awkwardly be like, so I'm I'm leaving now. So, yeah. So I think that kind of pushed me to leave sooner than what I probably thought I was going to. I always told myself that once I got to sort of 25, 26, that was going to be the point where I assessed, you know, how well the business was doing, if it was still viable as full-time and things like that. But I didn't really set too stringent targets from graduating to turn in sort of 25 26 which I'm I'm not at yet but I'm getting there (laughs) so yeah yeah so another personal question when you were
0: leaving that float in your business account did it mean that you were then paying higher tax because you had profit or a float in there Um, not
1: not really because I mean I say I say that I was making money. I wasn't making a lot. I was literally teaching like three classes a week or something like that. But majority of what came in did go back out. So it went out for like, so for example, I bought myself a Bluetooth speaker, but I got, I made sure I got a good quality one. So obviously I was making payments out of that for quite a few weeks. I was paying studio hire rent in different forms I was paying out a lot of petrol because I didn't actually teach in my local area I taught sort of a few towns over so I had like a lot of petrol to pay for and obviously I kept my little log book so I could show exactly what was business mileage what was personal mileage and things like that so no it didn't really have much of an effect on tax to be honest because even though I was probably making a little bit of profit like it it was mostly coming in and out quite quite yeah. regularly,
0: yeah. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: Because obviously that's one of the risks, isn't it? If you leave too
0: much in there, when you get to the end of the year, you're like, oh. So yeah. That is now gone. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than actually reinvesting it into, like you said, things like speakers and new props yeah. and different bits and pieces. And yeah, I think that's one business expense people forget is make sure you claim for your mileage. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like 45p at the moment, but I think it's going up. Yeah, the yeah. Ticker, mileage, maintaining your car, like contribution towards your MOT, all that comes into mm. that 45p MR. So it's really important. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you can pretty much automate your known mileage for the month. Say you teach at three different locations, you know the route you drive. So you can Google map it and just, yeah. that bit, you know, that's going to cost you. Two pound, three pound, however much it is, um, for a business expense at forty-five p a mile, and then you can just log the random trips you do to pick up stock or yeah, post, post office, deliver uniform, whatever it is that is around that. So I think that's a really good, really good point. So what would you say was the biggest challenge, and what was the the mountain you had to climb, the hurdle you had yeah. to? Yeah.
1: I think, again, it all stems down to the money aspect of it. You know, like I said, I didn't start with much money. And obviously when you're brand new, you know, you've got to spend the time getting the word out there. So for like the first couple of months, I think I only I was only teaching a couple of classes and they maybe had like four people turn up, which obviously I was like, woo, four people want to learn how to dance. But I was like, but four people at like four or five pound each doesn't really pay that well so there was that element of it and obviously choosing to go and teach in a town where I wasn't from and I didn't know anyone I don't think that made it easy because obviously had I been teaching in my hometown I know quite a lot of people here so you know I could have tried to get the word out a bit quicker so I think that made things a bit slower because obviously I was having to build brand new relationships like even with the woman who's studio I primarily used for a lot of my lessons like she didn't know me so she had no loyalties to me to sort of spread the word obviously she did from a point of view of bringing people into the studio and obviously as time went on we developed a a good friendship and you know so she's she's a very supportive lady but in the beginning I just had to kind of push and push and push so I think there was that element of it and I think I think as well because I couldn't afford to have my own studio or anything like that I think that really limited things because obviously if classes were already taking place at a certain time in the venue I couldn't put a class on at that time whereas if I had my own studio I could just be like okay I'm going to do this class at this time and this class on this day and I could slot in like one to ones anywhere that I had gaps and stuff so I think I think it all stems back to this money element really because I didn't have the money to expand as quickly as what naively I probably thought I would do (laughs) before I actually started so I think that was one of the the main barriers I would say
0: yeah and I think so many people are afraid to ask
1: discounts when they start out like I'll put my
0: hand I hire halls so I'll put my hand up and say I point blank will not pay more than £11 an hour Mm. Because I am there 44 weeks a year I've been going for close to 10 years Every year Obviously COVID's thrown a wrench in that But I am definite money Why should I pay the same as someone That's having a birthday party Randomly in one year No yeah. And I think people are scared to, to kind of boss it For want of a better word To go No I need to make sure That I have enough money To pay myself To pay my insurance To pay my music licence To pay for things To make class great And to do that, I need to be really tight with my budget. I need to make sure that I'm getting the best deal from everywhere that I go. So I think people need to put on their big girl pants when they're starting out and go, no, there's so many halls around. Why not? What have you got to lose? That hall could say no, but then a hall two minutes down the road could say yes. And if you're starting out, like you said, you don't don't know anyone in the area, you don't have a name for yourself yet. So no one's going to, Be like, oh, I'm not coming if she's moving to that hall because you haven't started. So why not go for the best deal and the person that's willing to work with you say, this is my goal. I'm going to be here for a very long time.
1: Mm.
0: You can either have my definite money or I'll go
1: elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so
0: I don't know if all the halls liked me very much, the
1: but then they met me, and
0: I'm amazing. So of course they. Me there. But I think they, I think they understood where I was coming from, and I've always mm-hmm. had the mission: I want to make as many people happy through dance as possible. And the way I can do that is by keeping my class costs reasonable. Yeah, not having to raise my price because they want to charge me twenty-five pounds an hour when I'm having 10 two-year-olds in a class. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, no, no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not happening. So that yeah. was my start-up advice. Don't be afraid to be a little bit cheeky and ask that discount because you are definite money. But what would they rather have? I'm pulling numbers out of the air, but £10,000 a year from you if every year for the foreseeable future or... 50 quid for a birthday party for two hours on a Saturday once.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's their choice. That's yeah. a, that's, I, I phrase
0: it a bit nicer than that in my emails, but that's basically what i going <laughs> to That's the underpinned tone of it. <laughs> yeah, it's up to you whether you want definite money, reoccurring income, or mm. one-off things that you're going to have to then advertise your haul for. Yeah. Fulfill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that would be a big piece of advice was there any particular market, not marketing um finance plan you had in place like i've been reading the book profit first i don't know if you've heard of it which no, is I interesting um, and it's all about how to set up your bank account so you can separate it out so you're not looking at it and it's just one big block mm. of money you can actually see where different bits are going and have a visual quick look at the app on your phone and go oh That's how much I need to take out for expenses. That's how much I'm paying myself every time someone pays me. Mm. So I was just wondering if you had any particular software or market, and I keep using the word marketing, Uh, finance (laughs) plan when Um, setting up?
1: I think it was, so I did a, I did a, I think it was when I did my business plan actually. And I found a sort of a cash flow template online. It was by the Prince's Trust, I think. And I used that because obviously we'd done basic cash flows. I had an accountancy module in first year, but that didn't continue into second and third year. It was literally just this one module. So I found that and I found that quite good because obviously you could forecast for the whole year. And then obviously it was just like an Excel spreadsheet. It wasn't anything fancy. And I actually still use that template now each year. But in terms of like the bank account side of things, obviously I have a separate bank account for business, but I was actually advised that because I'm just me, I don't, nobody works for me or anything. I actually, for the time being, just have a separate current account. So obviously everything is still, I what's the word? I still declare everything like business expenses as usual and still have all the proof and everything. But a lot of business accounts, like they charge you maintenance fees and they charge you fees every time there's a transaction. And because of the amounts of money I'm dealing with, so say someone pays me by bank transfer to come to one 45 minute class, that's £5. Well, if I'm then getting charged a percentage for that transaction, it's not even worth the the transaction in the first place so I was advised you know go down that route and then obviously once you hit certain amounts of money that's when you need to be like right I actually need a business account now because you know you can't have a personal account with when you're dealing with so much money coming in and out of every different angle but I think the thing is I'm (laughs) I'm quite an organized person and I'm quite a control freak so I like to Like I'll check my banking apps multiple times a week, even though I know no money has come in and I know no money has gone out, I will still check them to make sure everything's in order and I'll work out, you know, right, this is how much is in the account at the moment. I know for a fact I've got this expense, this expense, this expense, and I'm likely to get this money on this day. So I I work it all out. So (laughs) it's actually just sort of brain power I use, which is ironic because I'm rubbish at maths. But... So I'd say the two key the two key elements I use are the prince's trust template that is super useful but just basically looking at your accounts and using a calculator <laughs> that's the way I do it <laughs> yeah no, I think it doesn't have
0: to be technically perfect it's what works for you as long yeah. as you know your numbers you know what money's coming in you know what exactly what money is coming out and where it's going to come from yeah so, no matter if you do it in a notebook or an Excel spreadsheet or your zero accounting software, it doesn't matter. It, it's your business. It's what works for you. It's yeah. just important yeah. to, to know it. And like you said, to, I think it's important to have a forecast for the year but then also do a forecast for every term or every half term. Yeah. People are coming in and leaving all the time. So yeah. your numbers will fluctuate, especially if you're across multiple locations or multiple classes. Your class numbers could change from month to month so it's important to know what's happening to those numbers and how those numbers are then affecting your expenses because if anything your expenses are more constant than your income
1: yeah exactly and I found it useful to have this yearly cash flow template but then I also created my own spreadsheet completely separate which it was basically like a it was a basic profit and loss account so each month you know I'd list all the money that came in all the expenses that went out and I'd have like a tab for each month. And obviously I'd start the month by putting the estimates in. And then as the month progressed, obviously you would update that and see if you were on target, if you were better or if you made a loss or whatever. And then obviously that can then translate into the the annual one. So yeah, I have like four or five different spreadsheets that I use. And I think I find that useful because then you can just pull everything apart. And like you, like you said with the, the bank account thing, you're not just looking at it as one big block and thinking, I'm seeing these numbers, but I've no idea what they mean. I think it's good to just break it down to as simple as you need it to be, basically. Yeah, definitely.
0: You need to find the way that works best for you and works best for your business.
1: Yeah, definitely. So what are your kind of
0: goals, dreams, ambitions targets for your business going forward
1: so I don't actually have sort of dates or anything set in stone anymore <laughs> <laughs> I probably did before Covid yeah, but obviously COVID Everything yeah, <laughs> it's definitely thrown a spanner in the works and the thing is at the moment so I haven't really actually taught any classes online or in person since November so for the past few months like things have been really difficult and Until about February, I got no government funding whatsoever. I didn't, I wasn't eligible for any of the schemes. So I've really had to kind of sit down and think about, you know, what I personally want to achieve. So obviously, like, I'm still living at home at the moment, but, you know, I'm 25 later this year. So I know everybody says, like, be on your own timeline and whatever. But like, ultimately, you know, I want to start looking at being able to buy my own house, whether that be on my own or with a friend or with my partner like whatever but i can't achieve that <laughs> right now because even if we go when we go back to teaching which hopefully obviously is from next month it's just it's not going to be feasible so now i'm contemplating sort of taking the business back to a bit of a side hustle finding employment just to get the finances in basically so that then i can hopefully go back again so i'm kind of detouring a bit again But ultimately, I would like to get to the point where I have my own premises. So I have my own dance school. I don't I don't want to be a freelancer forever because that's just a lot of petrol and a lot of it's great not having all the overhead costs. But, you know, it would be great if everything could take place in one place. And yeah, just to be able to help people, like I said, not just with their physical health, but also, especially after this past year, to help people with their their mental health. So I think the plan at the moment is to keep trying to push online classes, albeit my dancers haven't really. They got involved with it a bit in the first lockdown, but I think they were just exhausted with Zoom by, like, the summer. So it launched earlier this month, actually. I started doing some pre-recorded. Videos, So like workouts or dance tutorials. So I thought, well, you know, it's the same sort of thing. They just don't have to battle with Zoom and dodgy internet connections and stuff. So I'm definitely going to carry that on regardless of whether I find employment or whether I keep grinding and try and get this going again. But, yeah, ultimately I want to get to the point where, like, it's got my name on the door and it's my dance school sort of thing and I have people of all ages and all abilities and, yeah, that's, that's the goal. I just yeah. I don't, have, I don't have a date set yet. No, and no, that's fine. Like I said, my options are even
0: thrown a spanner in everyone's plans because there's just so much unknown. Like, even us planning our future, even the next six months, we're like, we're not going to plan any big, big events because it could change at the drop of the hat. So we're trying yeah. to things that can transition online and offline. Yeah. So that there's not always, oh, well, we're going to have to rebook the hall for the show and we're going to have to re redo the exam material and hire a new studio. You know what I mean, all these things yeah. that will have to change if we keep going on and offline. Whereas, no one knows what's going to happen in the next six months. No one knows what's going to happen in the next two weeks. No, I
1: was going to say, if, if the past year has taught us anything, as soon as you see one of the members of parliament are doing a press conference, it's like, oh, no, oh, no, what are they are going to tell us now? Yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely, definitely not worth looking too far ahead at the moment.
0: Yeah, and I understand what you're saying about um, getting a house, no matter what your business is in, having a mortgage as a self-employed person or a business owner in general is ridiculously hard getting a mortgage as a normal person with a job is hard yeah. <laughs> so I, I completely understand what you're saying one thing that we did was we I had like a nighttime job if you like mm. so I had the pay slip and I had that I am employed status that the mortgage companies like but then I had my whole day free to run classes yeah, and it was a little easy for me because I had different teachers and things. So I completely understand that it's not the same situation for anyone. But I just don't want to see you give up. I'm like, no, oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not
1: giving up. I'm not giving up at all. No. I'm just, I like, I was I was talking to my dad about this and I said, I'm not giving up. I'm just taking the scenic route for a little while. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Like, like I said, you have to do what's best for you. And what's best
0: for you might be completely different to what's best for someone else. Yeah, One thing that I think this will um, help us with. Is I think people are going to want to be able to do things.
1: Mm, definitely, so I think
0: class enrollments and things will shoot up. Yeah, I know when I want to be out my house.
1: Yeah, I know for that sort of brief period of time between, like the end of July and October, when we were actually allowed in the studio, <laughs> that I noticed particularly around sort of September time. Like some of my classes, I had the highest numbers I've ever had. And it was basically, it was either people wanting to get out and sort of drop off the lockdown weight as they worded it, or they wanted that social element, even though obviously it had to be like two metres apart still. Or just different things like that. Or it was parents bringing their kids and being like, please just take them for 45 (laughs) minutes, please. I just need them out of my way. (laughs) So whatever the reason was behind it, I saw a big increase in numbers, which obviously is a shame because obviously we had to cap numbers and stuff. So if we hadn't had to cap numbers, I think it would have been even better. But yeah, I think you're you're right. After so long of just not being able to go anywhere or do anything or see anyone, I think people are definitely going to be looking for the the outlets to be able to do that. It's just like say it's hopefully it's just that they can they can afford to come to us and they they deem us worthy. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's prime time to set up new classes because
0: one the, hall, the halls are going to want income and like you said you haven't got any locally like yeah. with walking distance of your house have you got a hall down the road that you could ring and be like i run done dance classes i don't have any in the area people are going to want something to do can we make a, a deal for yeah. it's let's just split 50 50 i'll pay you whatever i get in for the first month i'll give you half of it and then if you only get two in you can go actually it's not worth it I'll i'll give you a whole hire back kind yeah. of thing. I'll, I'll cancel my booking so i think it's time it as anything I think it's that we've really only got ourselves holding us back now now mm-hmm. getting out of the way it's our own our own time to risk you know what I mean it's yeah. not we could lose any more money so <laughs> yeah, <I> mean,
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can't you can't lose money that's not there <laughs> exactly and
0: especially with call hires, I think it's very different for studio owners um you're only hiring it for when you need it anyway so if you start a class and no one turns up. You've lost one week, a month. If you give it a time frame, mm. I'm going to set that class up for a month. If it doesn't make me any money, I'll close it.
1: Yeah.
0: And then you're no different to where you are now. You know? What yeah. I mean? I think exactly. It's yeah. Hard to risk it. Covid's knocked us on our feet. Told us that we can't do anything. So now's the time to kind of fight back and be like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do I'm going to do it in a way that's going to survive COVID if it happens again like Mm. with with different plans and things but to to go all in because it could change at any minute and what have we got to lose yeah exactly
1: (laughs) so do you think COVID has taught you anything I think it's taught me to not get too what's the word like I was very much the person of like, this is my plan. I'm going to teach like this. For I'm going to be freelance and then I'm going to build up money and then I'm going to open my own studio. I think COVID has taught me that, you know, it's okay to go off plan. Like, you know, the odds are whatever plan you set out with, it's not going to stay in place for your entire journey. So, and that's been a lot for me to deal with because like I said, I'm quite a control freak and I like things to go to plan. I live my life by to-do lists and things like that. So when things don't go to plan, my brain just go <laughs> my brain just goes my brain just goes crazy when things don't go to plan. But I think covid has taught me like, you know, control the things that are in your control, so the things you have control over like do it, but the things that are completely out of your control like being locked down, being told to stay at home like you can't do anything about that so why are you stressing out about it and I think that's been a big sort of lesson that I have learned over the past 12 months.
0: Yeah because as dance teachers we teach our kids
1: to be flexible and
0: keep going if you fall over on stage stand up and pretend it didn't happen and dance it out but actually taking that same mindset and putting it into our own business is something that I think quite a few dance teachers including myself really struggle with yeah to be able to go no I've fallen I just pick myself up and carry on and learn from that trip and I won't do it again next time
1: yeah exactly
0: awesome so I always end with this question what one piece of advice has a teacher person mentor
1: given you that you will always remember so one that I particularly remember is, so I had a business mentor that I used to meet with once a month prior to COVID, and I remember her telling me quite early on, because when you when you start out, you can fall into that trap of just saying yes to absolutely any job that's on offer because that's the point. You want the work, you want the money. So you can feel inclined to just accept every single job offer that comes your way but like she told me that you know think about what you're doing and even though you know you might need money and whatnot you you have to remember that you know not not every role will suit you you won't suit every role and in the same sort of translation you know not every person is going to be a customer of yours, your service is not going to be wanted by every single person, and that's okay. Like, you don't have to try and please everyone. And in the same respect, it's okay to say no to things that you don't think suit your purpose sort of thing. So that's always kind of stuck with me because I know there's been people come along who we just, like I just didn't vibe with them and, you know, obviously you keep it professional and whatnot, and they – would then send me an email or a message and be like thanks but you know I don't think this is for me I'm not going to continue with dance lessons and it's like okay that's fine like if it's not for you I wasn't really feeling it either and that's okay like so just just don't take it personally when people don't want your service like because you can't, you can't teach everybody, because if everybody was interested in dance, this would be an even further saturated industry than it already is. And another one, so on Monday, just gone, obviously, it was International Women's Day. And I attended this online event that was being held. And there was a a keynote speaker there, she's called Hayley Bennett. And she gave us this like little tagline I guess you could say and this is honestly going to be my mantra going forward now and it was don't make decisions based on fear make decisions based on opportunities and positivity so don't decide to do something because you're scared of things going wrong or you're scared of doing something different look for the opportunity and then make your decision so yeah they they are the two things that really stick with me now
0: yeah, I love that. I think the first one as well is really hard. I think as teachers and business owners in general, you put your heart and soul into it. So to have someone say, "Nope, not for me, especially if it's after like you've taught them since they were two and they're now 14, it's it's almost a gut punch. And I think it's, that's a skill I'm really still learning is to not take it personally and to almost have what I call my alter ego, like Sasha fears yeah <laughs> I, need Sasha I need a Sasha Fierce in business to go no it's not me personally that they're going I don't like you I don't want your classes anymore it's to Sasha Fierce
1: yeah it's not it's not a reflection on your ability to teach or your ability no, to no. run a business it's their personal preference and I think what we have to remember is obviously for a lot of people dance is just a bit of a hobby and just something they do for a bit of fun so we have to kind of almost put ourselves in the customer's and the dancer's shoes and think, well, this is my sort of everything and this is my life, but it's not theirs and that's that's fine. So, yeah. yeah.
0: That's okay. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. So that's what someone's said to you that you'll always remember. What would you want your message to be?
1: I think I'd sort of reiterate it really and I would just say, you know, don't take things to heart. You know, you know that, like, remember your why. Like, so why are you doing this in the first place? Because if you lose that, it's all just going to go to pot. But yeah, I think so. Remember your why. Remember to not take things to heart. Because, like you say, you can't, if you please everyone, you'll please no one. And just almost try and make your own opportunities. So if you want to go and teach, for a another school, for example, but they don't have the style of dance that you want to teach, then just teach your own class in that style. Do you know what I mean? So don't wait for opportunities to come and present themselves. I think, like you say, I think if COVID's taught us anything,